0: Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, Santa Claus, the elves, reindeer, all of that stuff in between. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it yet again. This is the Football Misfits, home of the footballing misfits, the holiday misfits, if you will. This is episode 160. Woo! I am your host with the most... LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. The Sad Spurs fan, not when you beat Sean Dyche in a game like that. Neither here nor there. I am, of course, with the man, the myth, the legend. The one, the only, the man who has gotten it done, who gets it done, and will always get it done, especially on the holiday season. Whether that means misfit stuff or Christmas shopping, he is there. I'd like to call him Ronnie, and I'm sure he likes to be called that. So, Ronnie, say what's good for the one time, the holiday time.
1: What is good for the one holiday time? Merry uh, Christmas, if you observe it by the time this episode drops. Do stay strong and be eternally brave.
0: Boom, pow. And while we are not uh, accompanied by the guy with the stats, the numbers, the data, the facts, the Googles, the spreadsheets, and everything else in between. We know him as the Spencer Tino Perez, Spencer Povich, the Spencer Encyclopedia Britannica. Big money Spence is not in attendance tonight. He is with us in spirit, obviously wishing him a happy holiday and everything that comes with that. Uh, y'all know when Spence is not around, at least I begin to... Uh, The fake news, neither here nor there. Just kidding, not really.
1: Fiction!
0: (laughs) So take everything here tonight with a grain of salt if you choose to. And if not, that's on you. And with that being said, Ronnie, episode 160 up in the air. Where would you like to begin?
1: We're just going to follow a Christmas theme throughout. Figure out who has been naughty in football of late and who has been nice in football of late. Uh, The big story of the week was, I Cash, you can say the revival of the idea, more so the permission to run it back, i.e. the European Super League. And we we already spoke about this two years ago on Food Talk. I don't know if there's that much energy for the Super League anymore, but it could also be a case of, you know, the clubs plotting behind our backs while they post releases saying, yeah, we don't like this anymore. Um... To summarize, the European courts, FIFA or UEFA could not block the European Super League from taking place, so that led many a team, many a football organization to say, no, this is, uh, we do not want this. We will continue to observe and respect and play in European competitions that are sanctioned by UEFA. Um... And, of course, the two people who had, like, the biggest things to say, Barcelona and Real Madrid, were like, this is a great day for football. We are reclaiming our sport back. And Joan Laporta also had a video that he released about that, where he was doing hand gestures for days. That looked like it was the most exercise he's done all year. (laughs) Thanks for the no one. So, thoughts on the whole matter. The European Super League, they have permission to run it back. Will it?
0: Yeah, I think absolutely it's going to uh, make a return in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as weak as that press release that came out when it initially happened. Obviously, y'all can check that out. Our thoughts on uh, that episode, Food Etat, classic Footy Misfits episode, classic. I'm um, neither here nor there, but yeah, I think that it's going to make its comeback. Uh, they have the go-ahead, and Fiorentino Perez of Real Madrid is, oof, ever so eager. Uh, to get things back on and popping. He is not short of any quotes, any comments of the sort. Uh, he's, I guess you could say, whoring himself out uh, for the the idea of it. He's clearly a big um, contributor or a big engineer of all of this uh, amongst other clubs. You mentioned Barcelona, obviously. But just to give a quick quote from Mr. Perez himself, he says, and uh, I quote, uh, Today, a Europe of freedoms has triumphed, and also football and its fans have triumphed. I don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) Which fans? Uh, He says, We are facing a great opportunity to improve European club football. So, yeah, I think that it definitely uh, can make a resurgence. I think it absolutely will make a resurgence. Now, like you mentioned, the difference here is that a lot more of these European clubs that were gung ho or were quoted. Uh, as part of the Super League, the first go-round are definitely a lot more cautious on the second go-round here. We saw Manchester City, Manchester United, and a few other Premier League clubs and clubs across Europe, obviously, uh, express their uh, quote-unquote commitment to UEFA uh, in press releases. How true that is, obviously, Ronnie, we do not know. But I do have a question for you before getting your thoughts on all of this stuff. Uh who is whoring themselves out more? Is it Barcelona or Real Madrid? Barcelona. <laughs> I think so too. At least,
1: at well. least Florentino Perez, say what you will. He was in a suit, all you know, well put together, just expressing how he thought the ruling was the right decision. Uh Nasir Al-Khalifi pointed out that he's he expressed his excitement for the European Super League, uh, in front of Champions League trophies. Ugh. Um, turning your back on uh, UEFA. Um, Laporta, like I said, he looks like he's he's that guy from MSNBC that has like the that has like the whiteboard and he's like drawing lines and shit. What's the guy called on MSNBC? Um, the one who does, or is it CNBC? The guy that does like the money shit.
0: Oh, uh, the balding guy. I forget his name.
1: Yes. But yes, Barcelona is horning themselves out. Um I'm not gonna go graphic with the comparisons, but um yes, Barcelona. Um the organization that is um doing all this is um A22 Sports. And if you go on their website, there's a section that says UEFA has lost its monopoly. The Court of Justice of the European Union has ruled that clubs have the right to freely discuss and propose new European competition formats. They also unveiled the structure of this competition. It is an open system featuring promotion and relegation and two stages. Um, There's a league stage and a knockout stage. The men's Super League will have 64 participating clubs and the teams in the upper echelon, which will be 16 clubs that are in the star division. 16 more clubs will be in the gold division, and all the other clubs will be in the blue division. Um, each club will be divided into two groups of eight, play each other home and away. I um, think the top four teams in each group go on to the quarterfinal um, and a traditional knockout stage. Uh, do I think UEFA should restructure the Champions League Uh yeah, probably. Um, they're gonna restructure it next year for to have a Swiss model, if you will. Not the restructuring I was hoping for. Should UEFA hoard all of the all of the costs, all of the um the the budgeting and stuff like that? What is it that they're hoarding? They're hoarding the um the television rights and stuff. Maybe yeah. spread it around across you know the continent. Do I believe that this new Super League will be free? Where you can watch all European Super League matches for free? I don't think so. I think that's bullshit. I mean, depending on where you go, <laughs> respectfully. They're advertising that they are going to have all the matches available for free. But yes, um, Bernd Reichert is the CEO of A22 Sports Management. He said, football is the people's game. The current fan experience with multiple TV subscriptions is expensive and highly unsatisfactory. We want to put fans first by providing free access to all matches and an unrivaled, cutting-edge experience. That is true. TV subscriptions are expensive as shit.
0: Absolutely true. I mean, I was in London recently trying to watch the Champions League when I was there. My hotel did not have TNT Sport or wherever uh, the Champions League was played in Europe or in the UK, for that matter. And obviously, as we know, in the States here, there are a number of um, providers that we need to tap in with in order to watch the numerous leagues. Obviously, the Champions League is run by one, but that's a it's a whole money grab, as are many things. Do we believe that the Super League will cut that out? I don't know. I feel like the TV
1: rights is where the money is at. No, that's pretty much what it is. European footy is going through what college football is going through in the states in terms of television and and uh, contracts being signed.
0: Depending on which conference you're in, right? yeah ain't
1: no money for the pack 12 i'll tell you that much <laughs> basically and apparently florida state doesn't like the television money that's why they didn't make the college football playoff that's neither here nor there
0: yep, but everybody everybody be notre dame independent neither here nor there
1: but i don't know i think i think yeah sure um while watching footy is can be expensive i feel like the the fan experience can be even more expensive i.e. fans having to pay like mad money out of pocket just to go to a match a european match you experienced it with the premier league how you need to buy a membership and then on top of the membership you pay for the game ticket
0: yes yes indeed uh i felt like uh if i'm if i'm a local it may make a bit more sense let's say i'm a spurs fan living in london yeah it makes absolute sense to get a membership for the year and then be able to get access to tickets before they arrive on the general market, which they don't from what I saw. Um, but if I'm an out-of-towner, just going to see a match with which with these European matches you would assume a lot of these people will be, um, you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense. I feel like I was being taken advantage of, um, neither here nor there. But yeah, the fan going experience, I think, like you mentioned, might be might be a bit more experienced because these are, as they say in the Premier League, these are class A or Schedule A matches. You're watching the top of the top play one another. You know, you're not seeing Luton Town play Manchester City. You're seeing Manchester City play Bayern Munich week in, week out, or AC Milan, or, or PSG, or, you know, uh, the like, if you will, depending on how they're doing. Um, so I think as we can experience, uh, as we have experienced in American markets, when big teams play big teams, uh, it it costs more for the, the fan to, to be in attendance, if you will.
1: I um, don't think Florentino Perez is quite fond of looking at this round of 16, and seeing teams like Copenhagen in the round of 16. I mean, that was pretty much the reason why they like him and then throwing Andrea Agnelli into this as well. This is like, nobody wants to see Copenhagen, but they beat Manchester United, and those are the things I like to see. You love the upset factor.
0: And and I think that brings me to the question of like, we talk a lot about obviously why we don't want the Super League, and I know we've had conversations off the pod, on the pod, um but what are the some of the reasons for keeping this from happening in your opinion
1: the fan pressure and it's mainly that right well the, but, fan uh, pressure, the pressure from like current rights holders like a uefa i mean like uh sky sports like uh whatever well, whoever sponsors uh uefa competitions like turkish Airlines sponsors the champions league but everyone only cares about the bottom line in football the sport has become so much of a business that, okay, sure, fan pressure will lead these clubs to say no, but who are we to believe that Arsenal, who came out with a statement, you know, not showing support of it, isn't working out a deal to be a part of it behind the scenes?
0: Right, yeah, valid point. And with that being said, I think it's a question of, uh for me at least, I've been thinking about this and looking at the Super League and uh the new format or the proposed format or whatever. Uh I look at it and I think, and I think, also looking back to that episode of food etat definitely worth listening to if you haven't for anybody that is questioning or thinking anything super league and it's in origin and our thoughts as we had them in that moment um but the thoughts that i've been thinking about recently have been i don't know is the is the super league potentially a necessary evil we look at uefa and We're not very happy with the way that they've been running things and their new format of things. FIFA is talking about, uh, according to uh, the CBC, Canadian Broadcast Corporation, uh, that they plan on taking steps with UEFA. Uh, And we look at FIFA as, uh, you know,
1: not the most trustworthy uh,
0: body of government, if you will.
1: Right. So UEFA, when they condemned it, yeah, you did something great. But here you are also trying to supplant what we have right now like a swiss model for the champions league where you just play eight different teams four of them at home and four of them away
0: just making it the competition longer um, you know uh which in turn means more matches which in turn means more stadium revenue which in turn means more money for the body of work or the body of government which is uefa so yeah with that being said i mean is it kind of a necessary evil does competition And can competition amongst these corporations breed the best sort of competition on the field for us to watch? At least the best sort of product, because we see what UEFA has been doing. We see what FIFA has been doing. And I don't think anybody's been very happy with it. Can the Super League provide an alternative that might be worth enjoying or worth watching? Are we at that point?
1: I don't know. At first, I looked at the format of the new tournament Again, 64 teams, I believe it is. 16 in one division, 16 in another division, and then the rest are in a third division with promotion and relegation, assuming that you... Actually, no. You would have to assume that all 64 teams are like... Those are the 64 teams that will be locked. And then you just promote and relegate amongst themselves. It's like a nation's league of sorts.
0: Yeah.
1: Where England got relegated to League B, and you had a team like Norway promoted to League A, but it's just the teams in the continent. I feel like they're going to pick 64 clubs, keep those 64, and promotion and relegation among them. You're not going to invite any other clubs involved who maybe have won the league, the Slovenian league, Slovan Bratislava. You're not going to invite a LASK from Austria or RB Salzburg. Just going to keep it amongst, you know, the 64 teams that you may consider elite, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, Inter, AC, Atleti, the the big six in the Prem, and then maybe a team like Benfica or Bayern or PSG. But they all say they want to do it.
0: Yeah, and how much of that, I wonder, is, like you said, of uh, from fan pressure uh, or not trying to change the status quo, which, uh, I don't know, in my opinion, it, it feels as if, like, Fans have been given the the thought and the nostalgia of what the Champions League is and has been. Uh, and that can sometimes cloud, I guess, the vision for change in the future. And if we look at it from the cynical perspective of like, UEFA is making changes to benefit them the most. And FIFA is making changes to benefit them the most. And we know the Super League is on that bullshit to benefit them the most. I mean, I don't know. At this point, on a cynics level, it's like, for me, I look at it like, what is going to be the most entertaining level of football? Do I want change or do I not? And i think a lot of the fan pressure or what the how uefa or fifa is marketing is like they're trying to disrupt what has been going on while fifa and uefa are quietly behind the scenes also trying to already disrupt what's been going on it's like who well do you
1: try- fifa might not be doing it quietly but well, they yeah. are they aren't True. fifa is installing a new 32 team club, 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 club world cup why do we need that yep and, and again and, they, and behind the scenes i'm not sure if you're even aware of it they came out with a new, well, a secondary club competition, the Intercontinental Cup, which is like one team from each confederation playing each other in a similar format to the current Club World Cup. And then the team from UEFA is already in the final. Look at that. So they are quietly ruining the game, but they're also doing it very loud. Like, we don't need a 32-team Club World Cup.
0: And yet we have one. And so, I don't know, at this point, it's like we – I feel like there was a valiant effort from uh, fans of these different clubs across Europe uh, to maintain the integrity of the competition, like you said, uh, in the Champions League where we've known it, we've known how it works, the format, and it's given a chance for a club like Copenhagen to uh, upset, well, I don't know how much of an upset it is anymore, but beat a team like a Manchester United or a Shakhtar Donetsk every year to make it out the group stage and make a run in the knockouts and have a good run. Uh, amongst others, even last season with AC Milan and, and Inter Milan, you know, not sure many folks thought that they'd be, in, in, you know, in the semifinals, let alone the final for one of those teams, things of that nature, while we kind of hold on to that, that entire sort of idea, you um, UEFA has been making changes and it's planned for changes in the coming years. We know it, you know, with the Swiss model is as, as they've sort of prepped us to kind of prepare for. And I don't know. I mean, there's not really much to kind of hold on to. it seems like. And now it seems we're at the hands of who's going to give us the most entertaining product because the culture and the tradition of football as it's been at least in, in the European sphere continues to change. And obviously I think we can agree that that's all based on greed. And so I don't know at this point, it's like, we we fought for the super league to, to go down in 2021 and fans came out going guns a blazing. It was a, a lovely sight to see, to hold on to tradition. And then I think we kind of, kind of like sat there and watched UEFA be like, Hey, that's great. We're going to fight with you guys. And then at the same time, here's a new Swiss model. That's going to work out for people. Ha ha. We're going to make more money. Look at that. You know? Um. So I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of spewing nonsense, but
1: to the boardrooms, of these organizations, that is nonsense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, like, the common footy supporter, like you and I, or the people who are protesting the initial Super League launch, it's not. Yeah. Because apart from the fans, player welfare is also something to consider, and, and that's something no. that these organizations haven't really been doing.
0: Yeah, there is absolutely none. You talked about the FIFA, uh, the new Club World Cup format going into the summer, 32 teams. I mean, that's just more games for these players who – you know, on their worst time, just playing in their domestic leagues alone, might play 36, 37, eight games, Uh, add in a little bit of domestic cups, like a a league cup or a Copa del Rey. That's just, you know, more games on their plate. And then going into their own summer, which they might have a chance to recuperate, hang out with their families, uh, you know, heal, rest up. That's going to go straight out the window. And that's not even taking into account these all-important international competitions that we love to talk about, the Copa America, the Euros, the World Cup. Uh, so just kind of throwing a monkey wrench into all of that. Yeah, great point. Player welfare has been on the back burner for quite some time, and I think it's only going to continue to get worse. Whether or not the players will be able to speak about uh, up about that or come together, I don't know. But to the main point, this new uh, Super League iteration, this idea, I mean, it just seems like we're kind of I don't know. It felt like we were making a difference in in boycotting some stuff and uh, as fans uh, having a say so in whether or not this would stand. And then you turn around and have UEFA kind of doing you dirty in the same way. So it's like, I don't know, at this point, what do you think? What do you do? There's not really an ally, if you will, amongst this. It's all boardrooms. It's all higher ups. And it's all about the bottom line at the end of the day
1: and at the end of the day we can add this into said naughty list
0: naughty i guess if you want to close out this super league conversation Seferin with a little little jab because obviously we've seen a bunch of teams say no as we mentioned earlier uh be it press releases or uh statements via the numerous platforms uh, across you know wherever you want to share them uh he had a, a tiny quote saying I hope they start their top competition as soon as possible with two clubs. Ooh, Arsenal and Liverpool, we're looking at y'all. Where are your statements, guys? What's going on? Arsenal came out
1: with a statement like a day ago. Oh, finally. Which is hella late. Look at that. Liverpool, I admittedly didn't see one. Liverpool, y'all looking funny
0: in the light. Uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, obviously, we know how how they feel. Just whoring themselves.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Again, Super League Spence. Man City rejected the Super League. That just says something.
0: They did. And we should also, uh, I guess to close it out again, say and mention, like you did earlier, uh, we'll see how these clubs stand uh, as this Super League gains traction. If it does, we'll see if they really mean what they said. We shall see. I don't, I... Trust I don't trust y'all at all. The German clubs, maybe, because <laughs> they stood tall in the first iteration. PSG as well, to their credit. Um, but everyone else, I got my eye on you guys.
1: Man City did win the Club World Cup. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> they did do that, didn't they? They did do that. Four nothing ass whooping of uh, Fluminense.
0: Pep Guardiola's fourth go around.
1: It's uh, his fourth
0: go around. Even um... though he's only won three Champions Leagues, neither here nor there.
1: <laughs> um, Man of the match Julian Alvarez, abrasive goals and assists. Showing out. I mean, that was like the one solace I took from it. Julian <laughs> Alvarez, he's just that guy. Oh, Wow. Spencer's up. As a update to last week's BS of the week, um, to bring it back to American soccer problems, the United States Open Cup. We gave MLS BS of the week to because they wanted to um, pull out of the competition again, the oldest competition in the United States. U.S. Soccer put their foot down and said, hell no. MLS requested to allow MLS Pro, Next Pro to represent them in the Open Cup. After thoughtful consideration, we have informed MLS, uh, yeah, 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 which was adopted by the Pro League Task Force, that the request has been denied. As we move forward, we will continue to review the Open Cup to ensure it aligns with the U.S. Soccer and strategic pillars. Um, Major League Soccer had a rebuttal that said... Um, U.S. Soccer has subsequently notified MLS that the Federation is not prepared to grant the necessary waiver for MLS Next Pro Clubs owned by MLS owners to participate in the Open Cup. Independent-owned clubs such as Chattanooga and Carolina Core will remain eligible. MLS is committed to finding a viable solution for the 2024 tournament and is working to find a pathway to address its goals. Moving forward, MLS will remain focused on increasing opportunities for up-and-coming players, a key component of the league's player development strategy that ultimately benefits the U.S. national team program. All right, that was a lot going on there. A, who gives a fuck about the national team? This has nothing to do with them. <laughs> Uh, b you're taking the easy way out again it goes back to what we were talking about the super league everything about footy has been strictly financial yep unless if they're not making a profit out of the u.s open cup why are we playing in it
0: yeah and and i think to that point it's so sad to see because we talk about uh how european footy and club footy has turned uh its eyes straight towards the money and while it's sad to see it's the reality of the situation But they've had years upon years of culture and tradition to build off of a fan affair and, you know, uh, enjoying games and big legendary matches and players that have come across. And, you know, the MLS and, you know, the U.S. football environment as a whole hasn't really had that much of that to go off of um, before just straight up turning their eyes to the money. It's sad to see because you like to build off of that. The MLS as we know it has been growing and continues to grow. And we like to see the culture that's coming from it in every way, shape and form and how it's having an impact on, you know, the experience and the entertainment and the enjoyment and the eyes that are on soccer in this country. Now to just go ahead early before we have much of that and just to point straight towards the money and kind of give us that cynical view of it. I don't know if it's a very American way to do things, but it's it's kind of sad to see and to the college football point that we had briefly earlier in this podcast. Again, college football is headed in that same direction. We talk about TV rights. We talk about name and image and likeness. We talk about all that stuff. But there was an, a wealthy history of culture and tradition and fanfare and enjoyment of the system and how it was before all of this. Not saying that people weren't making money off of it. We know the college football struggle uh, right. all too well. But there was that culture, that experience of it all. And for the MLS, that's not quite there yet for us to just being like, let's go for the money. You know,
1: when you're like, well, what I said last week, sorry to cut you off. But what I said last week is that, yes, that we don't have a history of culture in American soccer. But this is the one thing that embodies some resemblance of American soccer culture. Yes. You look at the winners of this competition. There are teams that don't even exist anymore that have won this competition. I think the winningest club is Maccabi, Los Angeles. They've won like six. They don't exist yeah, yeah, and then you also say stuff like, oh, we don't like the playing conditions. All of the lower division teams in Spain, all of the all the teams who are ranked higher in like higher leagues, play away to the visit to the teams who are in the lower league. So you'll have a team from from that you never even heard of in Spain in the fifth division be drawn against Real Betis, and Real Betis will have to go to that fifth division team. That pitch might be muddy as fuck. There might be two grandstands that can only fit like 300 people on either end, and then you'll have like standing room across the entire length of the pitch. But they still play there. They they might not have the entire first team. They'll have like young up and coming players, but they'll also keep like a first team player or two. That's not a, that shouldn't be an issue for MLS.
0: Yeah.
1: Remember when Spurs played Marine FC in the FA Cup?
0: we're on the same page because that was my next point. Spurs play Marine in the FA cup and Jose Mourinho famously said the best way to respect a team of lower caliber with all due respect is to beat them. And what did Mourinho do? He brought first team talent, be it Harry Kane, be it Dele Alli, be it Sonny. He
1: Bale. he was, (laughs) he was, he was, uh, to Spurs at the time. And I, I remember seeing the pictures of him and like people on trees in the background looking at him play.
0: Yeah. And, That's just that's the culture that it keeps it alive and it makes it more enjoyable. And on top of that, for these lower level sides that don't have the income, the resources, it gives them a wealth of that, you know, and you even see uh, with with the fans of these clubs in the top level uh, across Europe, playing teams that are, you know, much lower down the totem pole or semi professional or whatever the case may be, you know, buying their kits, scarves. And buying their beers, going to their games, spending money on tickets, selling out their arena, and doing all of that stuff, and it just adds a boost to them. And it at the same time keeps them within that com- competition, that camaraderie of we all play in this, we all play for the same cup, whether you're eighth tier or you're in the top flight. You're going for the same trophy despite your chance of having it or not, but it keeps that tradition alive. It keeps that culture alive, and it keeps some semblance of the enjoyment of football outside of just the money aspect of it all, for the beauty of the game, the reason why we all enjoy it, and it's there.
1: Right. Again, it is the one resemblance of a soccer culture, the U.S. Open Cup. 1914 to 2023, a lot has happened. MLS will point to the lack of promotion, but MLS and U.S. soccer were under one umbrella that promote that was supposed to promote both U.S. soccer and MLS, but you just promoted the national team, completely abandoning the club game, abandoning the U.S. Open Cup. So, whose fault is at the end of the day, really?
0: Yeah. Hey, listen. If y'all need some creative direction, MLS, the football misfits are here for you. We can make it happen. <laughs> I don't know and, where you're uh, going. U.S.
1: soccer mostly, but yeah, sure, MLS. But one last thing on this, and I was watching uh, Football Americas on ESPN Plus. Very great, great. program.
0: Yes, very, um, very energetic.
1: Very much so. Um, Sebastian Salazar. He brought out a point, and this was you know before U.S. Soccer put their foot down, suggesting that MLS should lose their top their top flight status in this country because you're supposed to play all the competitions you're eligible for. I would agree with that. But he he brought up one point in particular. You're supposed to be doing what's best for the game in this country. If you are an executive at U.S. soccer, Don Garber, the MLS commissioner is on the board of directors at U.S. soccer. How insane is some for, for someone who is undermining a competition relating to U.S. soccer being on their board, that makes no sense whatsoever. So and he mentioned you either got to boot him or he has to go on his own. And I feel like if they're still going to be persistent about trying to like not have MLS quote, first teams play, you got to boot them. And it would, you know, just be great entertainment for me. Oh, wow. So, naughty list again.
0: Big naughty list. A lot of naughty.
1: Let's have some good. Let's yeah, talk about good. something positive. Let's talk about someone who deserves to be or someone that deserves to be on the nice list. Yeah,
0: for, absolutely.
1: I think we should just go into that conversation. We were having three pod about, you know, managers. Hey,
0: all right. Uh, yeah. It was your
1: conversation. Take the lead.
0: Absolutely. Uh, So as I guess folks can uh, see with their own eyes, if you're watching club football, even pretty passively this season, um, Spanish coaches on the rise and have been on the rise for quite some time uh, all across Europe's top flight. We see a Spanish coach uh, in or around the top spot. Uh, We'll start with the Bundesliga, obviously, Chavi Alonso and Bayer Leverkusen. They have been dominant this season, not a loss on their books. Um, I think they have the most amount of goals in Europe. Um, They're cruising. They're playing great attacking football, enjoyable football. You talk about La Liga and Girona, uh, their resurgence, if you will. They were 16th, 17th place last season, and now they are fighting for top spot, tied currently with Real Madrid, only down on goal difference. Uh, after their result at the weekend versus Real Betis, but again, 18 matches played round the top of the league, and their manager Michel, another Spanish coach. You talk about Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, as 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 much as it pains me to say, uh, has brought Arsenal back to you know a bit of glory, a beautiful style of football, competing for the the top silverware in the country, challenging Manchester City, challenging Liverpool, and putting their name in the ring uh, amongst Europe's elite football clubs, you know, another Spanish coach there, Uh, even staying in the Premier League, Unai Emery, another guy, masterful coach in my opinion, Uh, hard to think about tactically the way he sets up against the many different competitions that he plays in. We've seen his work uh, in European competitions, obviously, just as recent as, you know, his time at uh, Villarreal, the guy knows what he's doing. Another Spanish coach, Chavi at Barcelona. Good evening. We, good evening, yes, good evening indeed. Um, uh, we saw Chavi at Barcelona be this season, not scoring too many goals in matches. It's kind of pitiful to see. but that being said, in his first full season, uh, winning the uh, la liga winning la liga, um that's something commendable, but another Spanish coach. I think off the top of my head, I think that's five coaches. Uh, that are currently in European top flight clubs that are doing incredibly for themselves. And uh, definitely something worth keeping an eye on. There may be a Spanish renaissance, if you will, although obviously we think about guys like Pep Guardiola, who's been coaching uh, for the better part of the last 15 years and has been at the top of his game and continues to do so. But Spanish ex-players, whether they made it uh, to the national team or not, are showing their stripes on a coaching level and are bringing a bit of a, uh, you know, little Spanish flair to the coaching game, ushering out the uh, German coaches, Klopp, Tuchel, Nagelsmann, looking at y'all, um, and are making a name for themselves and are continuing to, you know, have quality. So add that to the nice list. Spanish
1: coaches, getting it done. They are getting it done. I think Xabi Alonso is the one who is just taking things by storm because Bayer Leverkusen, no one really anticipated this path for them, that they would just be world beaters. They haven't lost a match at all in any competition this year. They've had draws here and there in the Europa League and in the Bundesliga. They're still in the Pokal. I mean, he's doing something right. Mikel Arteta is doing something right at Arsenal. Yeah, he was scrutinized early on about, hey, man. Uh, I think you used the term punching above your weight. But I think now it was clear, like, okay, they were never going to have success overnight. Even Bayern Leverkusen wasn't going to have success overnight. They, when Chavis joined midseason last year, they weren't in, like, the best of positions. But they ended up in the Europa League. That's a, that's a huge dub. And then seeing their performance now, again, huge dub. Arsenal fighting for top spot in the Premier League. Thought we would never see the day again. Currently sitting top spot. Case in point. Just don't have that guy that said, Merry Christmas, you filthy animals, with a t-shirt of the Premier League table at the time, only for them to lose out to City. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Oof, neither here nor there. That was last season. Well, hope you learned his lesson. But, Arteta, Unai Emery, good evening. Good evening. Taking the Premier League by storm. Literally, and we thought, okay, not we as in the two of us, but, you know, football public were like okay he sucks because he couldn't get the job done at Arsenal. Arsenal might not have been the the right spot for him. But we saw how successful he was with Real, winning a Europa League against a Premier League club and now he's at Aston Villa, a club who I you could probably compare to Real in in terms of the player quality like yeah you have some talent. If you were to do a all La Liga 11, Gerard Moreno would probably be on there. That's what you have with, uh, with Aston Villa as well. When you look at like uh, Ali Watkins or a Pau Torres, if you will, and probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world, Emi Martinez. Okay. He, he knows what he's doing with the talent that he has. Yeah, man. Uh, Viva España. They, they know what they're doing. And um, that's a very good point
0: Yeah, and, that, and that and you the, brought up.
1: Definitely worth uh, a nice list shot.
0: Adding to the nice list. And through all of this, let's just ignore what Luis Enrique is doing at PSG because it doesn't really matter let's focus on his internet his international uh, I guess improvements of the Spanish national team I thought that uh, you know there's a time in where I thought he was you know one of the better inter- international coaches out there lest we talk about their uh, campaign in the euro in 2020 plus one um yeah but yeah uh, just something I guess worth adding uh, into the nice list lest it be some coal and uh, to get all that naughty stuff that we were talking about earlier on the pod anything else?
1: um i just want to keep on going on the naughty list um wow julian alvarez i guess would be my nicest shout again a, a brace of goals and assists in the club World cup final um you would put your spurs in there right
0: in the nice list yeah i i'd uh, i put Ange Postacoglu atop the nice list for transitioning me from the sad spurs fan perpetually over the last five years to an optimistic uh spurs fan if you will um, Change with life. Yes, indeed. And going from dreading matches every week or weekend or every couple of days to looking forward to them, if you will. Shout out to Big Ange, definitely on the nice list. No coal in his stockings this year.
1: Nice list additions. Um, can you think of anything else other than Ange supposed to Because I'm right here struggling. Man. I I'm, I'm petty. I just want to give people the credit they deserve for being naughty. <laughs>
0: I said, let's, go. let's get right into it. Yeah, fuck all that nice shit, to be honest with you. We're here to deliver the call. The Grinch stole the Misfits. Ooh. Costa Simicas of Liverpool. Uh, you're supposed to tackle the opposing team, not your own coach, brother, man.
1: No, 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 no. Uh, who was it in the challenge with him? Uh, I want to say it was Bukayo Saka.
0: It was Bukayo Saka. Bukayo Saka with a nice little push-off, but I don't think that that was – one uh on purpose leading to that tackle that happened obviously uh gravity and uh nature and newton's law did what it did uh but simicas uh, god damn took clop out <laughs> yellow card offense got him
1: he took himself out because apparently he left the match with the with well, a shoulder injury oh clop
0: look at you injuring your own player that's crazy crazy that
1: <laughs> the sensationalism again we could get away with this cause Spencer is not here
0: hey uh, we, we uh, please uh, point to the disclaimer at the top of the pod <laughs> that's why we're here guys
1: <laughs> um I I trust me I really am thinking of nice things to put in this. I don't know if it's naughty or nice just the fact that Barcelona they kind of hoard themselves out having played a La Liga match against Almeria on a Tuesday jetting off to Dallas that night to play club america on a wednesday yep definitely horish they ended up losing to club america 3-2 cuba america they just won the mexican league um so yeah i mean i don't know where that qualifies for but are you that bad financially that you had to do that <laughs> um what else uh oh nice list luton town hey all coming off of you know the positive news on tom Lockyer. They received Newcastle at Kenilworth Road and they won, deservedly
0: so. They've had a, a, I would say, a roughish season in the Premier League at the top flight. Um, but at three points is a three points. You got to, got to take that. Shout out to the folks at Kenilworth Road.
1: And doing so against Newcastle.
0: Yeah, a team who was making waves uh, to start the season. Kind of, I would say, f- losing a bit of that form. Now, But neither here nor there. A big win is a big win. Newcastle, a team to be afraid of uh, in the Premier League. So, shout out to Luton Town. On the nice list, you mentioned Wolves briefly. I do want to add them to it. Getting a, a win over Chelsea, which is not much of a feat, it seems, in the year 2023. They have the third least amount of wins in the calendar year. Only behind, only ahead of Nottingham Forest and, I believe, Crystal Palace. But Wolves with a with a big win at the Molyneux. Uh and Matt Doherty getting on the goals scored the uh, the what would be the match winner there, so making his return uh, to Wolves this past or this past season, uh, and yeah, getting a match winner against the Blues. So all the nicest we go we give uh, to the Wolves uh, over there. On the naughty list, obviously, uh, I think you mentioned Chelsea and Todd Bowley. You can spend all that money, but it won't do you no good, Pochettino. I'm looking at you, man. Naughty.
1: And you definitely had your grievances with Pochettino.
0: Sure enough. I told him don't do it, and he didn't listen to me. But that's, I mean, you know, that's on him. That's on him. If we talk about form, former Spurs coaches, uh Jose Mourinho's men obviously got a win against Napoli uh yesterday. And Ooh,
1: not we'll to go into that.
0: That was a bit of a naughty match. Mourinho getting into it with a few uh, Napoli players, Victor Ossiman being one of them. Uh, he of which would get a red card himself. Uh, Matteo Politano would also earn himself a red. Uh, Napoli lose two 0 to to Roma and Jose Mourinho. If we want to talk about naughty during the holiday times, Mourinho was a prime guy, and this match was exactly that <laughs> naughty.
1: Um, I know there was Carlo Scalia involved in some mess and Man involved in some mess. Mostly, you know, going back and forth with Mourinho, but it's Mourinho. What do we expect? This guy called essentially for the assault of a of Anthony Taylor. <laughs> Victor Olseman had his contract extended until 2026, and the release clause is $143 million.
0: In my opinion, a terrible idea, but that's neither here nor there.
1: Isn't it Spencer who always says when a player signs a deal like that, uh, the player is essentially out the door?
0: I mean, shit. If we're following Spencer's logic, I hope that that's the case. Because I don't see why he would do such a thing.
1: And don't we recall that there was was those old monkey TikToks from Napoli's official account about Osima? Yes, indeed. I think that was during the season, this past season. It was definitely like the start of the season. Nasty. So I find that pretty peculiar. But if, again, if we're using Spencer's logic, he's heading out soon. So I guess it's nice for Victor Osima. Yeah, let's hope
0: so. Let's hope so. Otherwise, it'd be naughty staying with a club like that, treating him in that uh, that fashion. Uh, the Champions League round of 16 draw, would you say that was too nice? Uh, was it naughty? Not naughty enough? What do you think?
1: It wasn't too nice for the heavier teams in the lot.
0: I agree. What's Man City doing playing Copenhagen? We know it's all up to chance, and I say that with two uh, air quotes. I'm playing Lazio, I don't know if I like that. PSG Real Sociedad, I think that's a nice matchup.
1: I, I'm still in the firm belief that Real Sociedad are dark horses, and they can, on their day, hopefully it's in February, knock out PSG.
0: Back. I would say in this uh, entire what grouping of eight matches, I think that uh, maybe four, three of them make sense. And let me know if you agree with me here. I got Napoli Barcelona, I feel like that makes sense.
1: Yeah, Napoli Barcelona. We saw it like a couple seasons back in the it was either around the 16 or like one of those Europa League playoff matches. Um, I think it's pretty good again. Napoli, they haven't really been the best, but on their day, if Barcelona comes into the Champions League in that poor form, they'll take advantage.
0: Facts, Barcelona. Famously not scoring many goals this season, uh, in in matches at least neither here nor there. Uh, Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid. I think that was one that was pretty nice.
1: Yes, Atleti will pretty much be going at Inter's next in the entire series. Honestly, think that that's like the better one of all eight. I probably rank uh, Napoli, Barca too, but um, I, uh, I agree with you. That that has the potential of being a very competitive, maybe even hotly contested tie.
0: I agree. And, I, and the last one for me that I think made sense out of the eight, this is the third one for me. PSV versus Borussia Dortmund.
1: Because of PSV's start to their season. Yes. Uh, undefeated in the Eredivisie. Um, they had a slip up in the Champions League here and there, but good enough to make the round of 16. They're a good squad. BVB will always provide you a very entertaining match. Again, we saw the group of death, how that played out. I I would side with BVB on this one, but it will be entertaining both in Eindhoven and in Dortmund.
0: Yeah, I'm much agreed. I think those three matchups, for me at least, are definitely ones to catch in terms of uh, matches that you could see go either way um, on both legs. So you have
1: the favorites going in every other tie?
0: I think – so I've got – between napoli and barcelona i'm gonna go with napoli i'm not sure i'm not sure if they're the favorites inter milan atlético madrid i'm gonna side with inter milan i think that uh between two matches inter are literally a tale of two teams they either attack well and they finish their chances or they attack well and they don't finish their chances atlético madrid have been rising in form as of late we'll see how they fare in february but they live and die by that man antoine griezmann who is a big game player, but I think Inter Milan can get the better of them over the course of two legs. And then for BBB PSV, I am going to go with PSV. So, not sure which ones are the favorites there, but those are my three picks in those games, which I think are the ones that folks definitely should tune into, just in just again for the fact that those could go either way and they look a lot less one sided than, in my opinion, the rest of the matchups outside of... That's
1: what I'm saying. Do you think the rest of the matchups will go the way of the favorites, i.e.
0: Oh, Real Madrid and- beating
1: Leipzig and a Bayern beating Lazio? Yes, yes.
0: I got you. My bad. All right. Um, Yeah, in-, in those other ones, I think, yeah, there'll be a little bit more favorite heavy for sure. The PSG, Real Sociedad, one I think is... It could. Keyword could be interesting. I think Real Sociedad has been very interesting this season, especially in Europe. Um, PSG, not so much as you mentioned. Uh, so that one is definitely another one to potentially keep an eye on, but all the other ones, yeah, Man City, keep it pushing. Real Madrid over Leipzig, keep it pushing. Bayern over Lazio, keep it pushing. Uh, and then Porto will lose to Arsenal. We keep it pushing. That's how I feel.
1: Yeah, that one has the potential of being like a Real Sociedad PSG. Maybe. And I
0: don't know that it does, unfortunately. I don't know that it does. Hey, Amen. We'll see. We That's... <laughs> Ronnie, the one thing that we know for certain is that we will see. (laughs) see.
1: Um, If we go into the Europa League playoff, this is the knockout playoff, i.e. the teams that finish third in the Champions League against the teams that finish in second in their Europa League group, the two matchups that stick out the most, Lons versus Freiburg, to me.
0: Yes, same, to me as well. But
1: but the one match that sticks out the most, I think, to everybody, is Feyenoord versus Roma has the potential of being quite the match. Firecracker. Assuming Santi sticks at Fire Nerd before this match is played. Yes. Come to Spurs, man. Come to Spurs, please. If you do come to Spurs, can you do so after? Because I want to see that tie. This is a rematch of the very first Conference League final, by the way. Yes, indeed. I'm telling you am telling me right now, I'm going Fire Nerd? <laughs>
0: I'm going to have to go Roma.
1: Yep, Mourinho ball, unless it's the Europa League final against Sevilla. Factos. And
0: Anthony, Anthony uh, Taylor is a referee.
1: That as well. Lons versus Freiburg. I think Lons are better than what they displayed in the Champions League. Agreed.
0: They they definitely put up a fight for a brief period in, in the first portion of the group stage. Uh, hopefully they can recapture that in the Europa League, which I think that they, they, they can. Something definitely to keep an eye on.
1: To go through these other ones right quick, Milan taking on Rennes. That could be a good matchup given how these two teams are performing domestically. So I am actually looking to see if that match could produce anything. And I feel like it might. A match I think would be pretty good and entertaining watch. Shakhtar Donetsk and Olympique de Marseille. Sounds
0: like uh, two clubs who should be in the Champions League and are pacing off in the Europa League. Don't know which way I'd go there. Marseille have been looking pretty interesting. but
1: In this competition.
0: Yeah, damn. Yeah. We've got we've got some very that's a good one. That's another good one. Oh, I'm liking the the Europa League picking things up in terms of the matches that they picked. This is this is another good one. Yeah. I, I don't know who I'd go for this one yet. I don't think I could say it, but but I guess I'll first guess I'll just go Marseille to be fair. Braga
1: yeah. and Karabagh. Eh. Yeah. Young boys and sporting. Maybe, maybe. Has some potential, maybe. Possibly. A lot of flares in this one, I'm guessing. Uh, Galatasaray and Sparta Prague.
0: Ooh, yeah, that, that sounds like it could get crazy between the fans and
1: the and the players on the pitch. And Benfica versus Toulouse. Yeah. If Benfica played any way they did in the Champions League group stage, I'll give it to Toulouse. Hey. hey. But this should be Benfica's to win. There are a couple of Conference League matches that I want to point out in their draw. Union Saint-Gilloise against Eintracht Frankfurt.
0: Oh, that that actually sounds pretty interesting for sure.
1: Especially how they played in the Europa League, and especially against Liverpool. It's not like Liverpool smoked them at all. Yeah,
0: yeah they weren't bad at all in those two matches against Liverpool in the group stage. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt, I, I would assume, would be obviously the favorites in that. But that uh, that Belgian club can put up a fight. That could get interesting.
1: Union Saint-Gilloise, they are first place in the Belgian Pro League. So, um, they, they've been doing really good this season on, in all competitions. They actually play Club Bruges on Boxing Day. That's going to be an interesting matchup. If I have the Belgian TV package, I'll watch it.
0: Wherever you are. Boom, um, pow, yeah. So, they, they look good. They look good. That could be definitely <laughs> something worth turning into. The Europa Conference League finally waking up, because i am got to be honest. <laughs> English, I skipped right past it. Sorry, guys.
1: Uh, Real Betis against Dinamo Zagreb. Okay. Might have been decent in 2013, but hey. Mislav Orsic. If you were still there, I would probably say this would be a cracking matchup. It might still be, but he's at uh Trabson spore.
0: There we go. Nowhere near Zagreb at this point. Oh, well, not too far, but yeah.
1: Ajax, Boto Glimp.
0: Boto Glimp is going to clean them up. Sorry, Ajax. <laughs> you
1: guys stink. They they rebounded from their shit form, Ajax, a little bit, only to fall back down and lose out of the uh, was it the Dutch Cup to a fourth division semi-pro team? Which again is the beauty of the cup. MLS doesn't want to see that, um, but I do so. I that was a pretty good upset, not for Ajax, though, unfortunately. But, um, hey, if Bodogrim does clean up Ajax, that'd be that'd be quite the sight. I'm into it, but either way, that's gonna be one I'm gonna be interested in. Apart from Union and uh Frankfurt, shouts to Bensa, Ferenc Varos takes on Olympiacos. Up the Ferenc Varos.
0: Sorry, Olympiacos.
1: Talking about ties, I will be heavy on the flares.
0: Some real smoke there.
1: Uh, you also have Servet and Ludogratz, Stromgratz and Slovan Bratislava, Molde and Legia Warsaw, and Maccabi Haifa and Gent. And if you guys watch that, kudos to you guys. If you don't, we don't judge. No, we don't. I
0: <laughs> think that should do it. For naughty and nice, in Europe at least.
1: For a lot more naughty, I think it's that time I'll be.
0: Right, me too, because it's, it's starting to get a little stinky in here. So let's go on ahead and drop that uh, Ronald Comey. Nobody is doing like what some journalists do when they write
1: bullshit. Wow, you are afraid to say it, but it's all bullshit stories. What is it?
0: Most of the times it's
1: uh, it's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) To go back to the US Open Cup conversation and the MLS and American football structure and all that, alexi lalas
0: damn it man what did he do this time
1: per his tweet do big and bold things leading up to the 2026 world cup mls should buy usl a strategic acquisition for the expansion of the business footprint that brings much of american pro outdoor soccer under one tent i have spoken
0: <laughs> okay okay uh, kim jong-un
1: You mentioned that and it's funny because I was watching a video about Real Madrid's rise and they basically called Florentino Perez a dictator. (laughs) The way he changed the laws so that you had to have X amount of money in order to run for president and he's the only one that has X amount of money, insane. I guess you could put him on the naughty list eternally. Um, But yes, Major League Soccer buying the the entire lower division only to have a strategic footprint across the country. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I think that would make things a bit worse because, again, it's league soccer. They don't, like, I think the main thing here is to institute a form of promotion and relegation. I don't know, man. I I had ideas with my guy Sebastian about this, but, like, everything is just up in the air. Uh, Simon Evans on Twitter... He is a U.S. soccer correspondent for the French news agency. Don, he tweeted, Don Garber recently remarked that MLS plans to go into dozens of new markets with the third division MLS Next Pro. Why would, why and what does that expansion look like? He spoke to the league's uh, president, the USL league president. And then Alexei quote tweeted, or MLS could just buy USL, Might end up being quicker and easier and or cheaper. MLS instantly gets the expanded footprint and existing infrastructure leading up to 2026. MLS also gets the rare win of playing the role of uniter rather than destroyer. One big tent, one direction. You light up my world like nobody else. Um... I also think, again, to go back to television, Apple TV has a role in some of this. The USL should just be independent from Major League Soccer, but they still should have like a promotion relegation system, much like how the Premier League is a breakaway from the football league in England. They could do that, but I don't know. It's American soccer. I don't expect anyone to understand this.
0: Yeah, who knows? Who the hell knows? My BS of the week uh, is across the pond in. The- the UK, specifically in the Premier League, where this year we've seen uh, history made, as we've seen the first uh, woman referee uh, in a Premier League match.
1: Th- that's a nice list thing.
0: That definitely should be on the nice list. We should have mentioned that. That is
1: Rebecca a- Welch. Yes, yeah, again, put us on the naughty list for forgetting about that. Yep. Rebecca Welch officiated Fulham versus Burnley on Saturday,
0: and of course, it would not be the Premier League adding a little bit of naughty to that nice that they. Uh, as they be doing Um, the first black referee since 2008 uh, also uh, would ref in the Premier League Uh, my man Sam Allison um, would be the first ref since Uriah Rennie again in 2008 to ref now while that's all good and well you can even dump in a woman ref getting their first go ahead for the first time in the Premier League this season Uh, the BS comes in for me Damn, it's been a long time for a black ref. 2008 is quite a long time, gotta be honest. And for a woman ref to get their first go round this year. Also, maybe long overdue. I don't know, Premier League, FA, what y'all doing? Um, Apparently, Sam Allison has been refing for 12 years, over 100 matches in the EFL. Just now getting the call up here, and again, the first time a black ref since 2008. Man, that's quite a long time. A little more diversity equity and inclusion you know what i'm saying a little dei you know goes a long way so uh bs of the week premier league come on y'all let's uh let's get a little more uh let's, get, let's be a little more progressive guys we can do it i know we can do it we love um, you know um taking advantage of black players who do well in this in this league if you will can name a bunch but i won't um just to save some time because there's quite a lot there has been quite a lot as well neither here are there mm-hmm. so yeah. More, a little, a little, let's be a little more progressive. I'm glad that it's happening. I'm glad that it's here, but maybe I'm asking for too much. Damn if you do, damn if you don't. But let's move on with the progressiveness. Let's get there. Let's you know. Let's come on. Let's pick it up a little bit.
1: For the people who are you know who have something to say about anything, they'll be like, "This is just virtual signaling and um, being woke." Shouts to Joey Barton. <laughs> but you don't think that he merits being a Premier League referee?
0: hundred EFL matches, that's a fact. Ref for over twelve years. I think he's got some a little bit of experience on his resume.
1: And he played football himself once upon a time.
0: And if we've seen the quality of refing and God forbid VAR in the Premier League over not just this season, but over the past couple of years, maybe they could use a bit of shaking up, no
1: yes. So I would firmly believe that Sam Allison is qualified to be a Premier League referee, as is Rebecca Welch. I mean, yeah, it sucks that it took this long. I mean, kudos for getting it done. And again, I think both of them are officiating on merit. It's meritocracy. It's not just handing out, you know, virtue signals, I would think.
0: Facts. Joey Barman, go somewhere, bro. (laughs) We don't care anymore.
1: Man, I went on a misogynistic manhole going through his shit. Yeah. If you want to see the lack of progression, go to his Twitter. Or his X, if you will. All right.
0: And before we go down that manhole Ronnie, do you want to go ahead and sign the boys off for episode
1: 160? Yes, I will. Keep in mind episode 161, which is around the corner, is BS of the Year. Woo. Our year-end episode, we give out BS to any and everybody who deserves it. Let's be honest, it'll be about one person, but we're just going to find a way to make it about more than just the one person. If you know, you know.
0: Oh, my goodness. No, boy, I didn't
1: Until then, we thank you all for listening and interacting with us on social medias at InstantGram. If you're listening to with us now, there's still time to get your BS of the Year takes to us. It'll all be featured on our episode for the good brother LV and Super League Spence. I go by the name of Ronnie. Do stay strong, be eternally brave. Merry Christmas, if you are listening on Christmas. Happy holidays, and we will see you next time. Adios. Woo! Last Christmas, I gave you my
0: heart. And the very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to Pasta Coglu.